Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode. So today's host, we do have Megan Brittingham, Marcella Telmonte, and Alan Taggart from Idaho. Well, welcome everyone to our NAE 4HYDP podcast. Today we are joined by Alyssa Walden. Alyssa serves as the Vice President for Programs and works with team members to promote and enhance opportunities for NAE 4HYDP membership. These working groups develop, facilitate, and aggregate approaches to meet the programmatic needs of the membership. In her role as VP of Programs, Alyssa works with 14 different working group leadership to provide their individual effort or to guide their individual efforts in supporting 4-H youth professionals program needs. Alyssa serves as a liaison for the working groups to the NAE 4-H YDP Board of Directors, and she is a county 4-H educator in Virginia. So welcome, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you all today. We also have our wonderful incoming regional director, Marcella Telementi in New Mexico. Yes, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode. And my name is Megan Brittingham. I'm a Western Region Director in Wyoming. So we are so excited to have Alyssa here with us. Alyssa, do you want to, did you, how did you get into your role of VP for programs? So it's actually kind of funny, like I was not considering running for a national office and I got this little email one day and it said, someone has nominated you for this position. Are you interested in learning more? And I have a sneaky suspicion as to who nominated me, but they've never confirmed nor denied. Um, so I was like, well, that's really, I'm honored that someone would, you know, recommend me for this position. Um, and I thought, well, sure, I'll, I'll give it a go and run for office. And um, as we got through the, the people nominating themselves process or being nominated by others, it turns out I was the only one nominated that year for VP of programs. So I thought, well, this is even better. I don't have to compete with one of my peers or friends. So um, that's how I came to the role um, as VP of programs. And it was just, you know, came from outside forces and it was meant to be at this time. And how long have you been in this position? So I became the VP of programs uh, back when we were in West Virginia. So that was 2019. Um, theoretically, my term should be up this year. It's typically a two-year term, but Due to some board restructuring, I think I'm going to be sticking around a little bit longer. And do you know how that will look for your position? And I, I know it does not. Scott and Lacey told us that that this transition doesn't affect the work of the working groups or anything that they do, but more your position in theory. But do you know what that looks like yet? Yeah. So. Um, my position which should have ended this year in 2021, um, but with the new board restructuring process, uh, my position and duties are being merged under another new vice president position that will not be elected until 2022. Um, so when we get to that new structure, that VP, and I think the title is education and development, um, will then oversee those working groups. 
but we realized pretty quickly that oopsie we have a gap year where we don't have coverage for this so we've talked about it as a board and how we can fill that gap for the year to make sure that those programs working groups still have that liaison to the board which is so important and that representation in our board structure absolutely when we spoke with scott and lacy previously um they both uh, were pretty adamant and emphatic that if you wanted to get involved in the association, the working groups were a great place to start. Absolutely. The working groups are kind of like your gateway to the association because they're really unique in the fact that you get to pick your passion area and you can devote some energy into that. So if you're super passionate about camping, we have the camping and environmental ed group, and then you can be with other like-minded and like people who are like the same things that you do and really learn from them. Um, and inside of our working groups, we have people who've been around for 20 plus years and people who've only been around a year. And everyone is welcome and an equal member of that team and can really contribute to the work of that team, whether it's developing resources, giving presentations, helping to write proposals for conference, or just sharing ideas that you're doing in your local communities. It's all really valuable and really helps advance the association and just share ideas and build those networks works with other members. Absolutely. And Scott even said one of the things that I stuck out to me is he said that uh, the working groups are where the real work of the association happens. And I thought that was a pretty powerful statement when you look at how broad our association is and all the things we do to recognize how important those working groups are and not just from a membership standpoint, getting to know people and networking, but really our working groups are doing some outstanding work. Yeah, and if you think about like a lot of the awards that we give out as an association are sponsored by a lot of the working groups. They do a lot of the judging for those awards. Um, if you think about the shooting sports award, our shooting sports team, our program working group has found funding for that. They have, you know, came up with the criteria for those awards. So a lot of the things we do as an association with promoting people and promoting their work comes through those working groups. So if you're a member of those working groups, you really see the, the inner belly of the beast here because that's where the work is truly being done and that's where the most people can have the biggest impact. Were you on a working group yourself before you held this position? Yeah, so I had joined a few um, just for things that were very interesting to me, like the camping one. Um, I also really love the healthy living group. So I was a member of that group as well. Um, so it was really a good way to find out more about the association. Um, as a newer agent, I've been around about 10 years now, but when I first started and you're, you're kind of trying to figure out like, what, do I, what am I doing here in this association? Is it more than just something I'm supposed to pay dues to, you know, to really get involved and the working groups are just that, that easy path in to really learn more and to dig in and um, see where you might fit within the association in the future. And Marcella, you, which working group were you on? Or you were on a couple, weren't you? I was, yes. So you mentioned shooting sports. Um, that has transitioned over a few while. So being able to jump on the meetings is one thing. Um, and the benefits of idea sharing, I cannot express how beneficial that is because you're like, okay, that worked in your state. How can I make that work in my state? Definitely um, locally, size of programs, those types of things do give you an idea um, or how you revamp something you may have already. I was on the, I, well, I am still on the communications and expressive arts task force. And it's been, and I have done, I've been co-chair of that two different times. 
in my history. And it is just fascinating. It is one of those, that particular committee is pretty staunch in our meeting times. We meet once a month. And it's one of those where it's a standing appointment and it is sometimes just nice to sit and listen to all the cool things that our colleagues are doing around the country and imagining how you can make that work. And they're so engaging and supportive and energetic. It, I assume that every, uh, every group functions the way that that one does that I participate in. I a could. lot of them do function that way. They, they meet, some of them meet more regularly than others. A lot meet once a month or every other month. Um, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, I think our working groups met even more um, in a time where they could have just said, we've got too much going on. This is too stressful. I think they really stepped up their game and met even more often because they got more comfortable meeting virtually, like we've all become Zoom experts at this point. So I think that just really kind of strengthened some of those relationships between the working group members and their leaders. And I think it gave them the opportunity to really share and really appreciate the value of that sharing since we were all going through a similar experience, no matter where we lived or what we were going through personally. Like we all were dealing with program cancellations, program changes, not knowing what something was going to look like. And it really gave a safe place for people to rely on each other and hear that it's okay if something is going wrong and programming is still going to happen. And here's some ideas of how you can keep moving forward despite what the world might be handing you. That's incredible. Um, so how many or approximately individuals participate in working groups as a whole? So it's hard to give you an exact number. Some of our working groups have as few as 10 members on them. Some have 50 on them. Um, and it kind of ebbs and flows depending on um, you know, who comes to conference, a lot of times that people think that's the only way they can kind of become a member of those working groups, but you can actually join at any time through our website. You can log into social link and add some groups, and then you'll start getting some information on those groups. Um, so it really just depends. If we have 14 groups and you think on average, maybe 20 per group, you know, you can say roughly about 280. So we would definitely welcome more membership. And it's a great way to get to learn about your association and be active in the association. And you get to choose which part, you know? So if you really love something, it's your time to share that with others. So it's not like, you know, sometimes we're voluntold, we're gonna do different meetings or be in different groups. And this is something you get to choose and you get to decide where your passions lie. And you may find something new that you think, well, I'd like to learn more about, let's say, um, civic engagement and how I can bring that to my community. So maybe I'll get involved with that working group so that I can expand my own knowledge and understanding of that program area. Because it kind of comes up as a need or it's recognized as a need by an individual um, of our association and they do the work to get the group put together and they say, we just want to do one thing, whatever that one thing is. And is it kind of, if that project gets fulfilled, does the working group go away or do they find a new project or thing that they want to solve? Of course, in 4-H, some of these things do not ever go away, but is that a possibility that it could ebb and flow in that fashion? Yeah, like Marcella said, we didn't always have a shooting sports working group and it's changed over time. So as the needs of the professionals in our association change, you know, sometimes maybe communities are getting really excited about something and we think, hey, we need to give resources for that. So we may create a new working group to kind of address that based on where everyone's enthusiasm is at that point. 
if we ever had a group, an area where maybe folks were not coming to meetings or not seeing that same excitement around that program area, we could obviously take the group away at that point um, based on what the membership needs. Um, our association as a whole is really here to serve our members. So if the members say we need it, we should do our best to try to provide that and to give them a place to share that subject or that program area. That's incredible. That leads me into a topic that I'm sure I'm going to be learning a whole lot more about um, in the next coming months is the plans of work. So um, early on, it was mentioned that each working group has a plans, a plan of work. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on that and what it does and how it works within the membership, the focus? Sure. So the, the plan of works are really a roadmap for each group to use to kind of think about what they'd like to accomplish within a year's time frame. So for some groups, they may want to increase their presence so that more members learn about what they're doing. Some groups may want to start um, a new initiative like an Instagram page or a Facebook page where they share resources. Um, so the group will sit down usually around conference time and create kind of some objectives that they would like to accomplish for the year. The plan of work then allows them to kind of delegate those objectives and say, okay, to meet X objective, we need to do X, Y, and Z steps. Who's going to be responsible to making sure that gets accomplished by when, what do we need to do that? And do we need funding to do that? So that plan of work really serves as their guide for things that they choose to focus on for the year. Um, so as a VP of programs, I don't tell them you must include five objectives and you need four people to do it. It's really what do you want to accomplish? What in this field makes you excited and do you think is a good goal for you to accomplish? Um, and so they use that. Um, really, it helps the chair and co-chair, you know, kind of keep a pulse check on their group to see, okay, we all agree to this. How are we doing? What do we need to kind of redirect or shift our focus to make sure we meet those goals? And then I use that document to kind of check in with them and say, hey, I see you wanted to accomplish this. What can the board do to help support you in that? Do you need us to help you get the word out? Do you need funding from your budget? What do you need? Um, and then I go back to the board and advocate on their behalf if it's something that we can help them address. And I think that's a good point too. So you talk about those objectives and if they happen or they don't happen, because as we were saying, we really do have a life outside of our job as much as we all love what we do. Sometimes we do have to deal with our other life, our, our private life. And so if those objectives for whatever reason don't get accomplished in this year, do you as the VP of programs get to withdraw their charter? Are you putting that group on probation or what's the ramifications if they don't get accomplished? So there's no ramifications that they don't get accomplished. We always encourage folks, if you had a goal that was really exciting to you, we want to help you get there. But if you don't, maybe we need to reevaluate what we can change or tweak in that objective to make it reachable, to make it a smart goal that we can um, achieve within the next year. So sometimes it might get shifted to the next plan of work. Sometimes we may say, you know what, that was maybe a little too big of a goal for us to have. What small steps can we do to still advance our mission without trying to reach to the stars all at once. Right, right. Because so often that's what we do in 4-H is we aim high and, uh, you know, despite our best efforts, sometimes get knocked down a little bit. <laughs> or, or a pandemic shows up and you just have no clue right. what's going to happen. Right. Could you also talk a little bit about, you mentioned the co-chair or the chair, um, and do all working groups function um, in terms of leadership in a comparable capacity where they have a, 
similar to the national board where we have a past president or a past chair and then a current chair and then an incoming chair is that pretty standard across the board yeah that's the goal for each working group is that um the leadership pretty much it's kind of the same three-year rotation so you serve as the the chair elect the chair and then a past chair to really give that long history and leadership to you know the folks who come after you so that you can help you, the first year you're really learning about the group seeing the process the next year you're in charge and then the next year you serve as that advisory role to help keep the group going or help guide the group in the direction that aligns with what the new leadership wants to do is it a rule or just in my working group that if you are a new person who comes to the meeting that you were elected the new chair is that just my working group or does that happen for everybody it's not a standard practice but sometimes we're voluntold things or you know last one in you got to be the guinea pig and you get to have some fun um, but it, it builds camaraderie and the groups are usually so supportive of everyone. And even though it's sometimes hard to find new leadership because we're all busy people, we all have full-time jobs, we all have our own programming to worry about. Um, it really is appreciated when folks step up and say, I'll give some leadership, even if you're being kind of nudged in that direction, similar to how I found myself on the board. Which is, that's why I thought it was a standard operating practice when you were like, I was nominated and I didn't even know, and here I am. That Did that happen to you, Marcella, as well? Were you told that it you did. were the boss? I, I got an email and I got a phone call saying you were nominated. You sound like it would be, you have great recommendations. Are you open to this opportunity? Um, here's what you would be doing. And I was like... Hold on. What is this again? Like, what am I agreeing to before anything? And I found when that happened to me, I found my group was, as you said, very, very supportive of me and did not let me, did not let me feel like I was failing. Um, and were very supportive and helpful. But it is like the thing that we do, like, oh hey, welcome, new person. Come on in. You are now the new incoming co-chair. It'll be great. You'll be great. We'll help you. At least you get that year as the chair elect to like learn. So it's a trial by fire. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're all good, good folk, right? Good friends and uh, so fun. I thought the next piece so that we could really truly highlight some of our um, teams is I really wanted to go through them kind of one by one. So the first one on my list is ag literacy. Um, the objectives I stole from the website from their plan of work were to share ag literacy resources through quarterly web calls and conference presentations, increase collaboration within the working group through reviewing and, and developing materials. You, do you have more info? I'm going to pick your brain on this. Do you have more info on this group? So this group, they have met quite frequently um, and they like, to, as they say, like to focus on ag literacy, but they will provide resources. They're looking at getting a resource hub together where folks can find grab and go lessons that could be used that relate to ag. Um, and they really promote agricultural literacy in all age groups of youth. So from the little tiny clover bud to the senior 4-H member, making sure that they understand what agriculture is and how it impacts their daily life, even if they're not in an area that's traditionally ag. 
so you don't to be a member of that group you don't necessarily have to be in rural goshen county wyoming you can be in a bigger city yeah like i live in stafford county virginia which is about 45 minutes south of washington dc so we are pretty suburban but we, a lot of our um families here commute to DC or to Northern Virginia for work. So you wouldn't think we would necessarily have a lot of ag programming here, but that's all of our 4-H clubs in this county are actually mostly ag related. So we have like a full livestock club, feathers and fur, horses. So I think, you know, no matter where you live, even if you're in an urban area, I mean, you could always have agriculture through container gardens. There's always opportunities that even if you don't think it applies to you, I'm sure you could find something, whether it's where your food comes from, especially in urban areas. Some kids don't know that food doesn't just come from a grocery store. So I think this group is good for anyone to join who has, I mean, anybody who eats food needs to know about agriculture. And I'll go ahead and relate the next group that we talk over to ag literacy and comparable, I don't know, it just makes sense in my mind, I could be by myself, animal science. And mm -hmm. their um, objectives were continue to meet quarterly throughout the year and utilize the webpage and social link to increase collaboration and sharing ideas. Uh, their second objective was to continue working towards creating a comprehensive resource and publication library that all members can access in one location. And their third objective was start a new quarterly meeting um, that will address hot topics in dis a discussion panel style. Yeah, and you'll see through a lot of our groups, a lot of their objectives focus on increased communication and resources. Um, so that's something that the chairs and myself have spent a lot of time discussing over the last two years is how we communicate our messaging and how we let folks know what we're doing. So that's a big push for all of our working groups. You'll see a common theme, even on my own plan of work that I submitted for the, the programs team as a whole. Um, we really are trying to figure out our groups are doing such great work and they're producing resources, but folks don't know where to go on the website to find them. So we're hoping that in the coming months, as our website goes through a redesign, there'll be a resource hub that'll be easy to use, easy to find, and not take too long to search for the resources. But all the groups are focusing on something similar in that vein. Yes, that was one question that if you didn't bring it up, I was gonna ask you is, is that in the works somewhere for all of these resources to get in one place because they're all identifying that as a huge need for them. Yes, and we're hoping that that will be accomplished through a web design or web redesign. But if not, we have a backup plan to establish a Google Drive where each each program's working group would have kind of a folder and all of their resources would go into that. And then anybody in membership would be able to access such a thing. Right, and that's a conversation we've been having as, you know, these resources that we're putting out, is it exclusive to being a member? Is that the only way you can get access to them or should they be available publicly? Are there some things that should be available publicly so folks kind of get that taste of what our working groups are doing and then want to get involved? And then some things that would sort of be behind that paywall where you have to have paid for a membership to actually access the full resources. Oh, I bet that's a fascinating conversation. It is, and it's it's polarizing, but we, yeah. you know, we want to make sure that our members are getting the benefits that we're advertising to them, you know, and if you're getting, if we say membership gets you access to working group resources, then we don't want those available to the full public who could just Google search and find the same thing. You know, you really have to justify, you know, what is a membership benefit for the association versus what do we just want out there? The um, 
one thing I sorry I'm bouncing around one thing um, the communication and expressive arts group did is in Qualtrics Jenny Murray is a whiz and so she was able to calibrate our website that we have to do that exact same mm -hmm. thing um, so that you have to submit your information before you can have access to all of these grab and goes lessons that were developed and it's been we really noticed I was stunned at the participation during the pandemic that people really somehow utilized all of these resources and things that uh, were developed by peers and colleagues and then it prompted this exact discussion in our working group of should this be available for everyone or should it just be ourselves or are we trying to keep it from someone but also you know what what are you doing with your information what's the purpose what's the style right Ooh. yeah and how Ooh. do we protect that intellectual property you know if it's out there publicly too so our next group is that i need to go back and do after school so they want to continue to revise after school curriculum complete revisions of at least two after of the two after school curriculums, excuse me, uh, meet quarterly for networking and continue to work on an after school resource database. So again, with the resource database, that's really key for a lot of our groups. This group, however, is actually in need of new leadership. So both the current chair and co-chair um, no longer work for an extension system and have moved on to a new opportunity. So I have called on our past chair to see if she would lead for just a little bit to get us through a transition. Um, so this group hasn't met quite as much over the year because of those separations, but we are hoping at conference to get some, some new life in that group and some new folks who are willing to take charge. Yeah, that's so, I think, as we talked about that, it's an intimidating feeling to walk into a, the room where they're meeting and you think you can slide in and be secretive and I just want to sit and listen and they go, hey, do you want to be the new chair? Good for you. You're the new chair. <laughs> and it is yeah, and intimidating. Yeah, I think as extension folks, we all like, I think we all need to learn to say no sometimes, um, but we all are excited and we're all passionate about what we do or else we wouldn't work with youth like we do. So I think we're always willing to say yes and try. And um, especially when you're put on the spot, sometimes you feel like you don't have another choice. But once we usually get involved and even if we are voluntold to do something, it usually works out really well for us. We're also the hardest people to say no to, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next group, one of um, the most interesting groups, I think, that I uh, don't know much about, camping and environmental education. And they had one objective to enhance and support camping and environmental education and 4-H youth development extension work. So this group has actually been really, really active and they probably could have filled seven pages with their objectives, um, especially with camping during the pandemic being such a nationwide issue, especially last year as we were approaching summer, they hosted lots of webinars, lots of good professional development sessions to really help folks kind of break that anxiety of what is camp going to be like, what do we need to do, how are we going to do this, and being that support system for one another to really make camp happen for a lot of kids across the nation. And do they, how does that, I guess that's, how do they work with the, um, are they tied to the American Camp Association or do they offer a conference or do you know how that works better than I do? 
So they have brought in some ACA speakers to be a part of some of their webinars that they've done. Um, there's no official tie with the ACA, but they do have some connections and resources that they can help link people to. Oh, got you. I, <clears throat> all I know is that with the American Camp Association, they do offer 4-H Camp Kindred meetings uh, during the actual national conference. Uh, I will actually be attending that this February. So really looking forward. I'm, I'm sure there's some from the working group that are a part of that. And I have to, uh, what does that mean? Explain what that is. It's a space for 4-H camps to get together. Um, I know that American Camp Association has been a supporter of NAE4HYDP as they come to our conference as an exhibitor and they really like to be supportive and as a resource. Um, and honestly, when it comes to camps, uh, it's really where the only thing with lawsuits, it's not a matter of if they will happen, it's a matter of when they will happen. And so it's so important that 4-H camps are doing their best to follow the best practices that ACA puts out, American Camp Association puts out, because it's just a good resource and a good partnership. Uh, so it's a, it's a kindred meeting is a space for 4-H camps to get together and chat and see how they can make the best program possible. And that happens in February, you said? Yep, it'll happen February 8th through the 11th in Portland, Oregon. And I, since I'm right next door in Boise, Idaho, I will be heading over there to uh, see how we can make our for each camp here in Idaho even better. Is it too late to register for that? It is not. Um, early bird ends December 26th, I believe. Bill, I make I'm I'm a uh, talking commercial for American Camp Association. I really I th I think they're another good association. If you're doing something with camp, um, being a part of the camp working group and NAE4HYDP as well as actively participating with American Camp Association are really good ideas. Yeah, and environmental ed is also a part of that group, and they do a lot in that area too, especially with like a web contest um, and any kind of environmental contest that people offer across the United States. They have lots of resources on that as well. So even if you don't love camping, which I know it's hard to believe there's 4-H professionals who don't want to go to camp, but there's still everyone that can use some little environmental education as well. Well, I have to put that, I'm writing myself a note, sorry. We're going to put that whole thing, Alan, that you just talked about in our comments or our description or somewhere so that we can access it also hopefully before the deadline. Sounds good. I will say, I will say for urban programming, we have a lot of active individuals and it's been very, the pandemic makes things difficult in urban settings, but uh, there's people who have been pushing forward and getting some amazing things done and getting some professional development. You know, and I think when we were talking at our last meeting where it's just, an opportunity for people to gather and commiserate and just say, yeah, I am struggling with XYZ thing. I think that I, I'm sure Alyssa, you probably already touched on why it's important to be a part of a working group, but that's for me personally, that's that's the reason I joined the urban programming working group because it's like I know there's other people out there like me that are struggling and I found my people and it's really refreshing to have that support. I'm going 
going to be completely unrelated there for a second. And last week's podcast, um, we talked about the association as a whole being really curious and interesting um, because no matter what your angle is or what your passion is in 4-H as a, as a professional, when you come to the association, you're going to find your tribe. In one way or another, you will find your tribe, whether that's in organization and policy and resolution and finance, um, or in the working groups with camp and some of those components, you're going to, or urban programming like Alan is after, like, you're always going to find your tribe when you come to the association. It's sort of like, you know, we all have parts of our job that we really love and we have parts of our job that we're like, okay, I do it, but I don't love it. Like the reporting or the evaluation, you know, like we love something about our job. So when you bring that to the association, you get to just do the good parts that you really like. Um, and then you have those folks who love policy and resolution who say, this gets me excited. So I will take that on and I will lead that effort. So it really does just let you, as I said, like explore those passion areas, find people who, you know, how many people love to look at bylaws and figure out, you know, what the bylaws say. Well, in our association, we have a whole group who really, truly does love that. So it really is, you pick what's going to excite you and what keeps you motivated and um, really gives you your spark. You know, like we talk about with the Thrive model, finding your spark and this association really allows you to find your professional spark as well. So Alyssa, our next working group we have is communication and expressive arts. Their description, we have create 4-H communication and expressive arts opportunities for youth, volunteers, and professionals, creating CEA into one or more of the national 4-H mandates, STEM, healthy living, civic engagement, with the long-term goal of communication and expressive arts being a national 4-H mission mandate, incorporate design and descriptions, uh, second is share opportunities or information for professional development re relevant to NAE4HYDP. And then develop, and the third is develop and utilize evaluation, which shows the impact of communication and expressive arts programming. So what, oh, what can you tell us more about that? Yeah, this group has really been active in promoting communication and expressive arts. And as Megan said earlier, they have their own website with resources where they've done some analytics to really see who is utilizing their resources and documents that they've put out. Um, and I know this group is really interested in having 4-H explore the idea of adding the arts as another 4-H mission mandate, just like STEM and healthy living and citizenship. Um, you know, we, we strive to create an all a well-rounded individual and the arts and creative side of people really comes out in everyday life for most folks, whether they realize it or not. So even if you're looking at a STEM activity, that probably incorporates some element of communication and expressive arts, whether it's building on those teamwork and communication skills, design is definitely an expressive art um, and an art form in and of itself. So anything with the scientific design and you have to create, you know, like a, you know, if you're building something, you're using your creativity and communicating that to tell a story, whether it's about healthy living, you know, you're creating recipes, you know, that is an art as well. So the, this group, the Communication and Expressive Arts, really does a lot of cross-programming and cross-referencing um, with other groups. When the world went online, we went to Zoom, we did Facebook Lives, we did videos, and I thought it was coming from a, a theater background as my background, and I thought it was fascinating to watch people who are not 
of a theatrical background struggle to understand how to engage with an audience and how to do videography and do some of those design elements. And Alan heard this most all of last year from me because he was unfortunate and got to work with me and hear me rant about how important it is to know how to present yourself, regardless of if you're in person or if you're on Zoom or a podcast, presenting yourself and having some of those skills makes the difference in the videos that we're watching online. There's a reason why some people are entertaining on TikTok and some are not. That's, and you know what? It's really one of those things that I think when I see other states, when we're going to these national meetings and the, for instance, Minnesota 4-H, they have a part of their fair where there's a drama production at their fair. And it's such a cool experience because the, when we think about youth development, this is totally a key component of building active citizens and knowing how, like, like what we were just saying, like engaging an audience, whether that's public speaking, um, whether that's knowing how to storytell through TikTok or through social media, you know, those are skill sets in itself and are going to continue to be vital. Storytelling is definitely a vital skill in today's experience economy or attention economy. Yeah. And well, I think even... a lot of times we latch on to like buzzwords. So like we know STEM is very important to school systems right now, but sometimes the arts get overlooked. And I think it's important as our association that um, this group does really great work. And I think it's important that we highlight that um, any chance we get, because, you know, as I, when I was a kid, I was not into sports. I didn't like doing sciencey things, but arts and communication arts is where I kind of excelled. So we, if we want to be a truly inclusive organization as a whole, you know, offering and giving the same value to the creative arts as we do to a STEM path is very important. At least, you know, that's just my opinion. I don't speak for the brand or the company, but it's, you know, it's in my opinion that if we truly want kids and professionals to feel as if this is the place for them, then we need to elevate all kinds of different interests to the same level. Absolutely. Absolutely. The next on the list is geospatial. Their objectives are to um, provide monthly develop professional development, rework parts of the curriculum with National 4-H Council for 4-H at Home and Grab and Goes, um, provide pulse articles, which is one we haven't talked yet about, collaborate with other working groups, um, GG lead support, Facebook page, promote national award and provide judges. This one just gave us a whole mountain of things to talk about, Alyssa. Yeah, so uh, I'll talk a little bit about the pulse article in this one. So one of the benefits of memberships is you do get the pulse newsletter um, in your emails. Um, and so we actually have a schedule. Um, of which working groups are kind of responsible for submitting a Pulse article each month. Um, and we recognize that sometimes, you know, we'll assign you a random month, but maybe another month works better. And that's totally fine. Um, but we try to at least give each group a chance to highlight what they're doing so that the membership sees that um, it's one of the ways we've chosen to try to increase that communication and increase that awareness. Um, this group does give an award as well, like many of our groups do. 
Um, and oftentimes part of their work includes finding a sponsor for that award. So someone who will pay for the, you know, the plaque or the um, recognition, whatever it may be, as well as providing the judging. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit and maybe we can skip through some of these. So shooting sports also has an award, but they also help to review um, workshop proposals to make sure that anything in the shooting sports field is um, adhering to best practices that 4-H promotes. So we don't want folks presenting on a program that they've done in shooting sports if it doesn't align with the best safety recommendations that 4-H encourages, like, you know, something as simple as wearing eyewear is required. You know, if they don't present it that way, then that goes against our safety standard. Um, so like that shooting sports group has really focused on making sure that, you know, to help the association ensure that we're giving a good quality in the workshops we offer at conference. Um, and they also have an award where they do similar things like finding sponsors and judging that as well. And I think that's a really, um, that's the first I've heard of that from the shooting sports group. And I think that's a fascinating concept to say, no, we're going to hold all of our education needs to be held to the one standard um, because that is likely, probably fairly different from state to state, determine, you know, based on who your shooting sports sports certifiers are or whatever your state standards are. What a fascinating concept to try to wrap your arms around, regardless of what state you're in, we're going to have the same mechanism. And I'll just jump in and say with the geospatial group, I've connected with that group on and was really interested when they were describing how they attend a national ESRI conference um, where they compete as one of the very few youth groups um, and it's a national competition where it's showcasing they do showcasing work that they do with geospatial inform, information systems and I think it's an amazing opportunity if that's you're looking for youth to do something around working with local county governments they've had kids where they have mapped out obesity uh, rates in their county they've mapped out where crimes happen in their county with sheriff, local sheriff's offices. So it becomes a good way to work with your local county and and get make those active citizens, um, have opportunities for kids to become active citizens. So great group. And that was called the ESRI conference? Yeah, E-S-R-I. E-S-R-I. Yep, and that, that group also has been an exhibitor in the past at NAE4HYDP. Um, they're really supportive of our program. Alan, you want the next one? I think we're on diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. All right. So let's say we have diversity, equity, and inclusion as our next group. Uh, their goals and objectives. We have increased awareness of diversity, equity, and inclusion principles and best practices. Their second was engage with extension educators across the country to share knowledge, resources, and best practices. Third is provide a safe space for extension educators to learn, heal, and grow. And four is to have fun. What could you tell us about them? So um, I'm gonna kind of key in on one of their uh, components here, which was to kind of be that safe space for their membership. Um, so when I was meeting with them earlier today, they really talked about how um, in today's world climate, we've had a lot of um, challenging moments in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. 
And this group for those members has really become that place where they can check in on one another, check on each other's mental health, and really support each other as work within this diversity and inclusion space can often be difficult and be challenging and be frustrating to have that place where they have support from like-minded individuals, just a place where they can go and say, hey, guys, I'm having a really bad day. I just need your encouragement or, um, you know, have fun with one another to kind of lighten the mood at times when the world gets a little too heavy. That's a great place to do that. And they've also done some really great education opportunities about bringing inclusive practices into your 4-H programming and offer some webinars, but I truly commend that group for the support that they show to one another in doing the hard work at times. And I'm, I, this is a curiosity question, and I don't know if this will be included in the, in the podcast, but with the diversity, equity, and inclusion with our working plan, was this group key in helping formulate that and helping us bring that into focus? with all of our working groups. So on the 2022 plan of work um, that the group saw today, there is a new part of that that was not on past plan of works that focuses on how each group will bring some awareness or knowledge of diversity, equity, and inclusion into their program area. Um, while we have had that working group for a while, we as a full executive board decided that it was really important to us to bring more focus to that as an association and that really stemmed from our strategic planning process where we decided what our priorities would be over the coming five years and investment in our people was really big and really something we wanted to highlight. Um, and that includes investment in all people who are part of our association and members of our association nationally. So not just the professionals, but the youth we serve as well. So we felt like everyone could use sometimes that reminder that Yes, DEI does fit within shooting sports as well. You need to think about ways you can adapt your program to make it inclusive. Um, and so the board as a whole really thought that would be a good, good thing to add to our plan of works, not with any expectation that a group has to do some kind of programming or anything like that, but just to keep it at the forefront of everyone's minds that we all have the ability to make 4-H a more inclusive space, no matter what program area we're in. We don't want that work to fall just on one working group or two working groups to be thinking about when really it, it's all of our job and our duty to make our program inclusive. Truly said, I think if we're going to reach 10 million kids across the United States, we've got to see the audiences and engage the audiences that have never been engaged with 4-H programs before. So thank you for those thoughts. Exactly. And that's why Getting involved with these working groups can also help you in your local communities reach more people. So, for example, with your group, Alan, with urban programming, and again, I'm skipping around the list, so maybe we'll just jump over them later. But with urban programming, we, you know, that a lot of people think that only affects, you know, certain agents based on what your locality looks like. But you never know when you might get moved or there might become an opportunity where now you have some urban kids who've moved into your area that still don't know, you know, traditional 4-H-E type things. Or maybe you have folks who say, you know what, we have suburban, we have some land, but maybe I'm really interested in more of like a container garden or maybe I'm really interested in more like community partnerships and, you know, learning more about what urban folks um, deal with on a daily basis in terms of commuting, transportation issues, um, you know, that issue could really affect all of us no matter where we are and what our communities look like. Um, so I think our working groups are just a really good place where you can 
honestly, they all kind of blend together in my head at times because I'm like, well, DEI is doing things about diversity and camping, but camping's involved in this presentation too. So it, it really all overlaps. And I, I can't say it enough that these working groups are a great place to find your home and to find your people, like we've said, because they're all going to have something exciting going on that you'll want to be a part of. And there, it, there used to be, I hope it still exists, I presume it does, is a lot of that, you know, just because you're on this working group doesn't mean you can't sit in on and listen on that group and working together in that partnership to, to bring some of those expertise. In full disclosure, I have been on the working group for communication and expressive arts, and we straight out stole the idea of grab and go lessons from the workforce development group um, and have also been we've used their format we've used their um, philosophies and we've stole it and going through this list I have seen that others are doing it as well. Um, and I think that's a wonderful resource that's being created and developed. Uh, for us to use collectively, um, but I love it when they work together in those fashions that you described. I think that's one of the most exciting things is to see how all of these projects are all related to each other. Yeah, and I think that's a benefit of the group is that, you know, when our leaders come together, they kind of hear some of those ideas as well, and they can take them back to their group. Um, I know healthy living is one we're going to talk about, but part of their goals is to um, present at conference. Now, um, I just want to touch on that for just a second, because they set it as their goal. But Megan, you ask about, well, what happens if they don't meet their goal? Um, so our working groups, they all have to apply to be presenters as well. They don't get like an automatic in um, if they want to do a workshop or a poster at conference. So um, they set that as their goal to at least try to present a, a healthy living program. And there's plenty of healthy living um, sessions that are going to be offered at our national conference this year. Um, but I just wanted to point that out that, you know, that they did set that as their goal, but they go through the same competitive process to be selected. So sometimes it doesn't work out and maybe then their goal for the next year changes to say revise or put more emphasis on preparing for a proposal or, you know, doing a poster instead of a proposal. I think that's a great point that you make about presenting was part of your working group. I know um, not just at national conference, but also there's professional development opportunities that are virtual and on Zoom as well. Um, and I think uh, we're all in different systems related to, and we all get judged differently by our supervisors related to how we present and how often we present and where we present. And uh, the working group was really a neat place to start and learn how that process works to present at national meeting versus presenting to a national association versus to even your state association, at least having a group of people who know how to do that and navigate that. Because uh, it is, I think it's intimidating your first time out. One, because you don't think that you're qualified to present at some of these things, but also to know that you're going in with a group of people who have maybe done it before and maybe can help lift you up uh, the way that we do in our association. I think that was a great point you made. Yeah, and one of the services we offered to our working groups this year was if they were doing a proposal, um, I offered to kind of review it ahead of time prior to submission just to give an extra set of outside eyes on it to make sure that the language was concise, the language made sense to someone who's not doing it on a daily basis and not having looked at it a hundred times. Um, and I think that helps some of our groups get proposals submitted. 
Um, I know our STEM group got some submitted. That was part of their plan for the year was to do some more education around STEM and creating um, lesson studies so they could really see how lessons kind of, um, when they deliver these lessons, how they're received with different audiences. So the STEM group had that as part of their plan of work and did that lesson study. It's been really successful. Um, and so I think it's just our groups can really give you that experience you need in that safe environment. I know DEI had that as one of their goals, but I think really in all those groups, you have the chance to kind of try on different things and see what works and hear from others what have been successful. Alan, do you want to take workforce development and career exploration? Sure thing. So the next up we have is workforce development and career exploration. So their objectives are to increase invisibility, <laughs> to increase, I'm going to try this again. I'm sorry. Next up, we've got workforce development and career exploration. Their objectives are to increase visibility of the workforce development and career exploration working group. Second, develop educational resources and opportunities for workforce development and career exploration. And three, cultivate a culture of recognition for innovative and successful workforce development and career exploration programming. And I think that's so interesting that they even include in their goals that they want to cultivate that recognition of each other for good things the group is doing and provide those opportunities for folks to share what's working in terms of career exploration and prepping our youth for the future. Um, so I think that's something unique to that group that they actually wrote it down that that's part of their mission and part of their goal is to give folks that opportunity to really show what's working and show what is being successful for others. And you know, I've seen uh, like Nebraska, they've got a really cool program called Next, um, where it's so important for us to realize that kids do need the skill sets they they need for the today's workforce. And so I'm really grateful that we have a group that we're able to really focus in on that and see how we can best engage youth and give them the skills they need to be successful in life. Absolutely. Um, and I think we've touched on most of our groups so far. I know we have youth empowerment to still talk about, which a lot of folks think that's just empowering teens. Um, when we say youth, um, we do mean all youth, though, and that group really does focus on all youth. Um, so, of course, teens as teachers is part of that. Um, and part of the work that they've been doing to support that, but also includes different leadership opportunities for all levels of youth. So whether that is empowering youth to take charge of their 4-H clubs in their community, empowering youth to take charge of their lives and their own mental health and physical health. Again, it really crosses with all those other working groups that we have. So there's lots of opportunity for cross-collaboration within these groups. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll speak to that with urban programming. We, I, I am currently the chair of that group and we find ourselves doing the, a lot, dealing with a lot of the similar issues that other groups are. You know, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we talk about after school, we talk about STEM, we talk about camping. Um, we have a lot in common. And I think it's so important that we also still have a space, like what was said before, just to gather and to, talk and to bounce off of each other because that I hear so many times people find the highest value in having those moments at conferences or gatherings where you're just able to talk with someone else that 
may be going through the similar problem or has a similar need and you're able to really figure it out together. So it's not just you by yourself in your own little silo in your county or wherever you might be, your parish or city, and you're trying to figure things out, you are able to reach out and have that built-in tribe, that built-in community where you can really build relationships and figure things out. So many neat opportunities and they are only as, I think, I, Megan's opinion, I think they're only as strong and as excited as the folks that serve on those. And from what you've explained, Alyssa, is that they're still full of life and still pretty excited despite the pandemic, despite virtual programming for almost two years. They're really still doing some really remarkable work that can be resources to all of us. Even if you don't want to sit in on their meetings or participate in that way, you can still gain access to their resources. Yeah, and it's it's been an absolute honor to serve and work with these groups because I've just been so inspired in my own programming to learn from them and to see the great things they're doing. It kind of gives me that little push I need to keep my own program just as strong. And when sometimes you think, you know, I've been doing this program the same way for five years now and you see, oh, well, here's one little idea that maybe I can adapt and use in my own area, you know, based on how my people respond to things but it still gives you that little, just that little spark to say, okay, I'll try it. And when it doesn't work fine, you tried it and it was something new and exciting for you. The other thing too, that is kind of new and exciting this year is that the working groups have offered um, mini grant opportunities. Um, are they only for the working groups? Can Alan and Megan use this for, Alan and Megan shenanigans, or does it have to go to a working group and what can they do with it? Sure. So when I became the VP of programs, I was one of the first things I was asked to do was look at our budget. And I thought, well, I don't know what to do with this budget. You know, this is, I haven't done this before. So I said, okay, each, you know, we have 14 working groups and we had, let's say uh, it was $2,100 to use throughout the year. So there's no real equitable way to divide 2100 by 14. So we said, okay, if each group has a $100 budget that they can use as they see fit, whether that's paying a speaker to come in, you know, buying thank you gifts for speakers, promotional materials, print materials, whatever they need to support the work of their working group. I thought, well, you know, I wish I could give more than $100 to each group because there's sometimes where groups need a little bit more funding to do something to have a real impact. So I, I came up with the idea to use the remainder of the budget that I was allocated on the board to set up a mini grant opportunity that working groups could apply for. Um, there was no real um, limitations on what they could do with that money. Um, they did just have to fill out an application, explain how it fit into their plan of work, what they wanted to do, and how, how what they did with that money would impact the association in a positive way. So um, this year we did have one group apply for those funds and they were awarded those funds and they've used it to um, it host some extra speakers from outside organizations to really boost the professional development offerings coming out of those groups. Um, they also wanted to buy some um, like giveaway things that they could use while at conference to talk to members and get more folks involved in the working groups. Um, and so they were awarded those funds and were able to spend more than just their $100. Um, so it does have to be something that impacts the whole working group or the whole working group is in agreement on. 
Megan, you couldn't use it to go off to a conference just by yourself, um, unless the group thought that one person attending a conference would, and being able to bring back information would benefit the whole group. Um, so there's, it's really um, a very open process, but I just wanted to be able to use that money for folks to impact the greater good uh, based on what they needed, because they may need the funds one year, but not the next. So rather than try to give pennies more on top of the $100 to each group, I thought, why don't we take a pot of that money and really make an opportunity for them to do more. That's a great opportunity. I'm glad that you made that decision. Thank you. It was, I, I really wanted the groups to be able to make an impact and, um, and have an opportunity to not have to worry about the financials of how they can make that impact. I know when we look at doing work within 4-H, a lot of the times we think, well, I'd love to do this, but I don't have the funding for it. Um, so I thought if there was an opportunity for them to apply with obviously no guarantee, but they could at least try if they you know, had an objective that really could use some more inputs to make it happen, we could give them that opportunity to um, apply for the funds and try to see what we could work out. And that in my mind, is of the finances relates in my mind for some unknown reason to these awards that many of the working groups do offer at a national level and what one there's the award which comes out through the regular application process um, which is due usually march 1st if i am not mistaken um and then um, from a state level it goes on to the regional level um, which oftentimes that's a certificate, um, depending on your region. And then uh, the regional awards are then selected for a national uh, award, um, which are given prizes at a national conference. Um, but then is there, you talk about the working groups also then solicit donors for those physical awards that are received? Yeah, so some of the working groups, not all of them, you know, sometimes the the plaque you might notice on stage when things are given out, some of them might look a little fancier than others, or they might look just different than others. And those are typically the ones that have like an outside sponsor that has sponsored the award. Um, sometimes they come with like a small stipend. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head which ones, but sometimes there are awards that maybe come with a $100 stipend um, to do some of the work or to, as a reward for what you have done in that field. Um, so those usually come from outside sponsors, not direct um, NAE4H YDP awards. Um, so I think it's a great opportunity to showcase kind of like the, to make an easy example in the camping and environmental ed sector, ACA is obviously a big partner and a big supporter of 4H and a big, uh, we work with them on lots of different things. So I think it's a great way to highlight those partnerships by getting awards sponsored by them. Um, because then more people hear their name and they know it's an organization that they can trust because it's backed by our working group saying this is a partner who is supporting us both financially as well as with materials and resources. And we all, you know, all, all of us, wherever we work, still need that recognition for our institution and to be recognized. And I think what separates these working group awards for, um, from the service awards in many cases is because it's programmatic based. And even though the application process is a self-nomination, which many of us are uncomfortable with, uh, it's still recognizing the work that you've done or a program that you've really um, upstarted, which is, as we all know, it takes some time to do those things. But where I think that we are more comfortable celebrating our work rather than 
kind of our service because we think, oh, this is our job. This is what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And we're passionate about our work in total. And so you're giving me a pat on the back for surviving another year. <laughs> Whereas this, is, the working group awards are like, I worked on this. I've really put some effort into building this up and what a neat opportunity to be yeah, able and to celebrate work, those that. Those working groups, they really look at their awards criteria and have the option to change it each year. So it's not like the same person might qualify year after year for the award. They adjust it with based on what's going on within that field. So with shooting sports, if we get a new, you know, safety precaution that we're really wanting to emphasize, you know, they might give more points to um, safety practices that are you've implemented in your program, or maybe it's diversity that you've brought into your program. Um, so those awards do change over time, and they're a great way to get you know, both state, regional, and national recognition for the, the very, very hard work that educators are doing to make their programs great for youth. So one of the last questions we have for you, Alyssa, is how do you recommend getting involved in a working group? We've got a lot of new 4-H professionals joining our organization across the nation. There's a lot of change happening there. So how do you recommend joining in and being a part of these? So I would recommend um, figuring out what your initial excitement is when you look at that list. So if you look at that list of 14 working groups, which one do you have a natural curiosity about? And then I would suggest just trying to check out a meeting. Don't do like Megan and walk in and get nominated to be the chair, say no, but at least go check <laughs> out the meeting, you know, like check it out, see what see what they're doing. Talk to some folks who've been a part of that working group. Um, you do not have to come to conference to be able to join these groups. A lot of times that's where, that's kind of the turning point where groups switch over their annual plan or their annual leadership, but you don't have to be there in person to be a part of that group and to join that group. Um, if you go to our website, and I know our website has some struggles and we're working on that, but if you log into your profile, you can select different groups or different working groups to get messaging and communication from. And then you'll start to receive emails that say, hey, our next meeting is coming up or, hey, we're looking at this right now and you'll be included in that communication. So my recommendation would be see where your natural curiosity leads you, explore the social link and how you can get your membership profile active within the association and just go to a meeting. Even if you think you have nothing you can contribute at that point, your presence will be enough. And you never know when someone may say, hey, has anyone ever drawn a picture of the biggest chicken you've ever seen in your life, which happens to be on my wall above me? Um, so, and you might be like, well, you know what? Actually, I do have that. And I do know something about that. And I can share that with you as just my first time here. Um, I think all of our members have a important voice in our association and whether it's something big or small, that any contribution you can make through a working group could better someone else's program. And we just need to keep that in mind that while we may feel like just one member, one member becomes one leader, becomes one regional director, becomes a board member, becomes Scott Nash, president-elect. So, you know, Scott says he got involved with a working group to start, and now he's taking over the reins of our association. So I think just follow your curiosity and see where it goes. And you never know who might nominate you for something else in the future. And if so, if you go to a meeting, whether it's on Zoom or at national conference, and they try to do you dirty like they did me, you go, Megan said no, 
that I should not do this. And that can be your excuse and send them people to me and, and I'll take care of them for you. But I think you're absolutely right. That was a beautiful commentary about you really do just start and you go, go to a meeting and see what happens. Yeah. You just never know. Like somebody may need exactly a piece of knowledge that you have in your brain swarming around that you thought no one would ever need to know. Um, so I think it's important just to, to get involved, take advantage of, you know, you're paying for a membership to our association. Mm -hmm. Maybe not you personally, maybe your university is, but um, you know, use it to your advantage, find those resources and find your tribe who can help you when life gets hard, especially as a new agent, where you coming in, you have all this gung ho excitement and then you hit your first roadblock. If you already have a network that you can say, hey, guys, I was trying to do this healthy living program and it flopped. What do you think? Like, can you help me? Can you give me an idea? You've already identified those folks and built that relationship. And now you can rely on them and they'll be there to support you and talk through what's worked for them, what's worked for others across the nation and help you move forward and stay on a good career path where you're happy and excited to keep working in 4-H. Oh, that's beautiful. That's what it's about. If you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. That's right. That's right. And I uh, would echo everything that you just said. Everything. Any other thoughts or comments that either of you wanted to share? No, I just think get involved as you can and as you're able, whether it's small or big, you know, you can jump right into a regional director position if you want. But I think it's always great to just check out everything your association offers, even if you can be on a short-term committee to help with some small thing, you'll still get big benefits and a big return on your investment if you just take the little leap of faith and put yourself out there. I know that Alyssa has been an amazing person to work with as one of the working group chairs, so really grateful that we get her for one more year and really grateful that we, we have that as an opportunity in our association that we are able to hone in on, like you were saying, those curiosities, those sparks, those interests that we have as professionals, because um, it's very, it's, it's a very good organization to be a part of and for us to learn how we can be better at our jobs and better help kids throughout the United States. And it keeps our spark too, I think. The working groups are definitely, I think, where we kind of, yeah, I think we can keep our sparks there, the way we encourage each other and rejuvenate ourselves with new ideas. Thank you both so much for joining us, Alyssa, our VP of Programs. This has been wonderful, an absolute pleasure. I've had a great time and I really appreciate you guys bringing me in for a chat and I hope more folks will learn about our association through your podcast. And I think it's great that you guys are bringing awareness and proving that the West might be the best. Thank you, Alyssa. This has been a 2021 production of the NAE 4-H YDP Western Region. The West is the best. Please join us for our next episode.